0: Have you ever wondered what it's like to sit in on a magazine editorial meeting? Well, this is your chance. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, a monthly podcast where our editors, writers, and staff dig deeper into stories, chat with newsmakers, and talk amongst ourselves about arts, culture, food, music, politics, or whatever else might strike our fancy. After all, we are Utah's biggest fans.
1: I'm Mary Brown Maloof.
0: I'm Glenn Warcher. I am Christy Marcy. And, and we're Salt Lake Speaks. Today's episode of Salt Lake Speaks is sponsored by Tastemakers, a two-day outdoor food and wine tasting event on June 8th and 9th at the Gateway. Details and tickets are available at tastemakersutah.com. One of the hottest topics right now in Utah is the controversial Bears Ears National Monument. President Trump, as we speak, appears to be working with his Interior Secretary to overturn former President Obama's creation of the monument. This is Glenn Warchel, Managing Editor at Salt Lake Magazine, and today on Salt Lake Speaks, we're joined by John Rupel, an attorney and an associate professor at the Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources and the Environment. First, John, could you explain exactly how and why Bears Ears National Monument came about?
1: Well, thanks, Glenn. Thanks for inviting me down to speak with you today. Um, So, first of all, I think we need to understand a little bit about the Antiquities Act. The Antiquities Act is a federal law. It was passed 111 years ago by Congress, essentially empowering the President to set aside lands that are historically or scientifically of, of value and protect those from future development. So, when Congress set up the Antiquities Act, they realized that particularly archaeological resources in the southwest were under threat. They were being damaged by looting and and vandalism, and they wanted to protect these. They also realized that they, as an institution, were not nimble enough to identify all the lands in the west that were potentially under threat, all the threats that could occur, or come up with an appropriate response and and plan to address each one of those. So they handed that responsibility off to the president and said, you know, Mr. President, you, you can come up with a plan to protect those areas. And that's what President Obama did. You know, near the end of his administration, he signed an order creating Bears Ears National Monument, setting aside that area uh, as a monument um, and limiting future development of of certain resources while also protecting um, ongoing activities uh, across that that landscape.
0: Basically, then, what sounds like an idea to protect antiquities, Native American uh, burial sites and things that are very important to our culture has suddenly changed to be seen as a dictatorial right of the president to take away private property or the use of public lands to create uh, treasure to pay for things like schools. How did this sort of flip-flop take place?
1: It's a great question, Glenn. And I think a lot of it has to do with perception. One person sees it as an overreach, another sees as a legitimate exercise of the law. I think it's helpful to step back here and understand some of the things that happen with the national monument. First of all, the proclamation applies only to federal land. It does not convert any federal land or any non-federal land into federal land. So no state land and no private land was taken, not a square foot, not a square inch. Second of all, The proclamation recognizes valid existing rights, so when we look at that landscape and we realize that there may be existing oil and gas leases on there, there may be existing mineral claims, there are existing grazing rights, all of those remain in place, they're valid, they're unaffected, and the owners of those leases can can continue to move forward as they did before under that. Um, That said, I think there is a perception uh, by some that life will change. And I think that has to do with a number of things quite separate from the Antiquities Act and different from uh, the National Monument. Well, do
0: we know at this point, um, uh, we've been hearing a lot of complaints that cattle grazing, uh, future drilling, obviously are going to change. And on the other hand, we hear that, particularly things like grazing, wood collecting, uh, and things like that that have been traditionally done on this land will continue. Is this something yet to be worked out that might be taken away?
1: The proclamation gives us great direction on a number of those issues. So when when President Obama created the monument, he issued a presidential proclamation. That proclamation is binding as a matter of law. And it says explicitly, and let me quote a couple of sections from it. Uh, The Secretary shall, to the maximum extent permitted by law and in consultation with Indian tribes, ensure the protection of Indian sacred sites, traditional cultural properties in the monument, and provide access by members of Indian tribes for traditional, cultural, and customary uses, including collection of medicines, berries and other vegetation, forest products, firewoods, and for personal, non-commercial uses. So, So those uses are protected, and the President was equally clear. The state retains authority to manage wildlife, so hunting and fishing rights are not changed. The state also has primary responsibility for permitting water rights. That does not change. And as I said before, those valid existing rights that were previously in place, those are unaffected as well.
0: Now, one of the biggest areas of perhaps confusion or difference of opinion on this, and we see it at the, the top of the... Utah delegation on down to the people that are living there, and that is that if President Obama and the presidents before him created monuments by using a presidential order and signing off on it, why can't a president who comes later, in this case Donald Trump, with a flick of the pen overturn it and put it back the way it
1: was? It's a great question, Glenn, and it's a little bit complicated, so bear with me here. The Constitution of the United States gives Congress the power over public lands. That's the property clause. It's very clear power over public lands goes to Congress and to nobody else. The president doesn't inherently have power over public lands by virtue of his office. He has to have that authority granted to him by Congress. And that's what they did when they passed the Antiquities Act. They delegated that authority to create national monuments. And they were very explicit. What the Antiquities Act does not say is is that the President can undo or reduce those national monuments. Um, So the question becomes, is there something implicit, something implied along the way that would lead us to believe that the President has those powers? Because short of that, The president simply can't do this. He's stepping in the shoes of Congress when he created the national monument, and he would need that authority granted to him to to essentially wear those shoes again. So the argument um, that the president could somehow uh, do these things, it's based largely on uh, prior monument reductions. And if we look at those, there have been about 16 of them over the last 111 years. They've, they provide very little historical support for this. Some of those reductions were done because of mapping errors. A lot of them were done because proclamations were they were done at the turn of the century and we simply didn't know as much about the resource in the area to describe them adequately in those proclamations so we cleaned up that information as we knew more. There were a couple of proclamations or a couple of national monuments that were shrunk for national security purposes for example um, Santa Rosa Island in Florida was the home of Elgin Field, the famous airfield that supported uh, US forces during World War II and and during the Cold War. That used to be a national monument and President Eisenhower decided it was more appropriate to use that land for military purposes. So we have those kinds of changes that provide very little support. But we can also go back and look again at, at the Antiquities Act. First, as I said, it doesn't explicitly give the President the power to eliminate a national monument. Second, we know from looking at other statutes that Congress was aware that they needed to delegate this power. If we look at laws like the Pickett Act, Congress said, yes, Mr. President, you can create a reservation, you can set aside those lands, and in the case of the Pickett Act, you can also change or revoke that. They didn't do that with the Antiquities Act, yet they clearly knew how to do that had they wanted to. The third point, and I think this is equally important, is we have to look at the purpose of the Antiquities Act. As I mentioned, the idea was Congress wanted the president to act quickly and nimbly to protect these areas that were under a direct threat. When we talk about undoing a monument, there's no similar need for rapid action. There's no similar exigency. It's appropriate for the more deliberative body, for Congress in this case, to take a look at these treasured landscapes, these public lands that belong to all of us, and decide whether it makes sense to adjust that management in a more deliberative way than, than would demand immediate presidential action.
0: Are you, are you saying that Congress could overturn, in this case, Bears Ears, uh, or could reduce it or something through Congressional action? Legislative action?
1: Congress has very, very broad powers under the Property Clause of the U.S. Constitution. If Congress chose to adjust the borders of Bears Ears, they could do so. If they chose to eliminate it entirely, I believe they could do that as well. And that's really where this debate needs to occur. If the question is whether local community input was adequately considered, whether that needs to be a consideration under the law, that's an issue that only Congress can address. The president can't add those requirements into a law. That's a congressional function. That's a lawmaking function. So if the, if the law needs to change, that's something Congress needs to take the lead on.
0: Now, President Trump called on the Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, to, to uh, look into... It's unclear whether it's just the national monuments in Utah, the more recent ones, or the national monument situation in general. Um, but whatever he comes back with, does, do you? Is he looking into this as a congressional legislative process, or try or looking at it into a presidential order?
1: Well, the. Executive order that that President Trump signed directed Secretary Zinke to look at seven different factors affecting that list of monuments, and it's essentially every national monument larger than 100,000 acres in size that was created since 1996. So it starts with the Grand Staircase escalani National Monument and moves forward through Bears Ears, um, and there's also kind of an escape valve here that allows the president, or pardon me, the secretary, to look at any other monument that he believes. Uh, didn't have adequate public input going in. but So the secretary will take a look at those monuments, take a look at these seven criteria, and then make a recommendation. We don't know what will happen based on that recommendation. One possibility is that the president decides to act unilaterally. Uh, I think that would be very difficult to defend legally, and it would almost certainly end up in, in litigation. The other possibility is that the president looks at these recommendations concludes that the questions and concerns they raise need to be addressed at a broader way at a broader level through potentially amendments to the antiquities act and again that's something that would need to be done by congress so it's very possible that the president will decide that uh, congress needs to act in this area
0: and it could be f- farther reaching than just changing the national monuments that you mentioned, that, the more recent ones. It could be that the Antiquities Act itself changes and moving forward how uh, how these areas would be protected and how expansive they would be because there is somewhat of a philo- philosophical argument that they're too big, that it was never meant to be this expansive of an area. Although in Bears Ears there are so many. And, antiquities that you pretty much have to put a blanket over them.
1: Yeah, it's a a great point, Glenn, and I I think we need to go back to this, I want to go back to this notion of whether monuments are too big. The Antiquities Act doesn't set a limit on how large a national monument can be. And if we look at some of those very early monuments, one of the first was the Grand Canyon. Uh, It was set aside by President Roosevelt because of a, a threat to development. That was challenged. It went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, look, Congress, you gave the president the authority to protect areas and items of historic and scientific importance, and we believe the Grand Canyon fits that definition. So we've had landscape-scale monuments going back to at least, at least 100 years. So I, I think that's an important starting point. Um,
0: yeah. But. Um- We all, we have a monument in Utah that nobody really ever sort of remembers. That would be Dinosaur, which was one of the first ones also. I think 1915 it was set up to protect these uh, paleontological sites. And um, was there any, was there any controversy involving that at that time?
1: It's a great question, Glenn, but honestly, I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with the history of uh, Dinosaur National Monument to say.
0: Well, thank you for being with us. Um, this, is, this has been Salt Lake Speaks with uh, Glenn Warchill, and today we had, speaking to us about Bears Ears National Monument and the chances and possibilities of it being reduced or eliminated altogether, uh, we've been speaking to John Rupel an attorney, an associate professor at the Wallace Stegner Center for Land Resources and the Environment. For more podcasts like this one, in which we talk to people who are involved in the culture of Utah, politics in Utah, and just about anything about Utah, you can hear at saltlakemagazine.com backslash podcast.